Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, and you are not. With me, my co-host, the lovely blonde bombshell herself, Ann Kerrigan. Hello, good evening, everybody. No, I am not Ron Kolick. <laughs> right, no one is. No Anyways, one yeah, well, there is a uh, car dealership, uh, Ron Kolick, but you know. <laughs> I, and I did come across my own obituary at one time. So, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Anyways, also joining us on the show is a master storyteller and uh, legend, legend, legendologist. I like that word, legendologist. Mm-hmm. I just made it up, I think. Anyways, uh, Jonathan Kruk, is that correct? Kruk, you got it right. Good. Only four letters, but I was... <laughs> Screw it up. Yeah, it's amazing. But, he had like a 50 50 chance. I would have said crook. Ha! I got it well, right. You can See? say crook. It, it, uh, it means raven in Polish. And they oh, get out of here. Crook. You're a fellow don't. countryman? Yes, indeed. Yeah, I am. Uh, uh, Kolik is not shot. That is uh, Polish as well. It means uh, wooden stake or wooden peg, which is why I'm known as New England's Bang Helsing. Uh, so ah, ready uh, to drive the stake through dear old Dracula. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But before we start the show, I have some exciting news for everyone. What? It seems the, the uh, food shortage of the world has been solved, as long as you're not a vegetarian. Uh, <laughs> some Australian country company has uh, just created the largest meatball <clears throat> made from uh, mammoth meat. From what? Mammoth meat. You know the woolly mammoth? Yeah. Yep, they got its DNA. We're able to reproduce it. So now we have woolly mammoth meatball. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, that's exciting. I Boy, thought you I, find that exciting. I can't but... say how excited I am. And there go and the, the dog's the excited, dog too, excited, too. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So let's get on with the show. But I, I just had to tell you that great news. That's so exciting. I just couldn't keep it to myself. Um, Jonathan is a, uh, I saw you on the, I'm trying to think, I think it was the Travel Channel. And the Travel Channel, yes. Mysteries at the Museum with Don Wildman. Yes. I did a uh, kind of a little expose showing how I got to the origins of the Headless Horseman and found mm-hmm. it to be. Uh, factual, not just uh, uh, fiction. And of course, right. the word legend, as any good legendologist knows, means a story based on something true. And yep. truly, the Headless Horseman is uh, did rise from an actual incident. Okay, I don't want to go into the incident now. We're going to talk about that in the second half not of the show. Yet. Not yet. So <laughs> I, I first I want to start, just, uh, start with you. Uh, how did you get involved in doing what you do and what do you well, do I, by the way <laughs> well what do i i 
I visit uh, schools, parks, libraries, historic sites, and uh, especially in the fall, um, Washington Irving's home set at Sunnyside and the old Dutch church in Sleepy Hollow telling tales. I do everything from finger fables for very young children to the the lore of the Hudson River and the Hudson Valley. But my two signature stories that I do all throughout the fall solo shows are ghost stories, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, Washington Irving's classic, and Charles Dickens' ghostly classic, A Christmas Carol. Mm. So with those different events, I'm, I've been working for 30 years full time as wow. a professional storyteller. Mm-hmm. So, so how did you get involved in this? Let's start with. I got involved as um, really a college student mm-hmm. when I'm, I'm the oldest of five children. And when my parents asked if I could entertain my little brother, I began to tell him stories. And then in college got asked if I could volunteer at some of the local schools. And I thought I could take stories I told to my, you know, then baby brother to the schools. And I found the kids were craving stories like baby birds wanting their little worms. So I (laughs) Yeah, began to think, gosh, this could be, uh, there's a real desire. And, you know, it took some years, it took about 10 years before I was able to do it full time. But I united two interests, one in education and the other in acting to become a professional storyteller. But may I tell you my little epiphany that drove me into the direction that provided the inspiration when again in college, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I was um, wandering through uh, the city of Worcester, as you properly pronounce it, <laughs> Massachusetts. It's not Worcester. Well, like Worcester. Worcester. Yeah, Worcester. It's Worcester. Worcester. And, it's yeah, Worcester. I wandered into a, a Worcester book, a used bookstore, mm-hmm. and found an old volume of illustrations by Kay Nielsen, and one featured a white bear and perched upon its back a wan princess and i was intrigued and found it was from a scandinavian story called east of the sun west of the moon and when i returned to campus i found myself at a you know a beer party as often you're want to attend at uh in college and mm-hmm. uh i open up a, a bottle of narragansett beer and oh there in the cap fortifying <laughs> my experience in the used bookstore was something called a rebus little picture words showing mm-hmm. east of the sun west of the moon cut it and out happened to, well, exactly but it gets better mm-hmm. a student there explained to me kind of you know like that drunken history show. Oh, yeah, that's a story of it's kind of like Beauty and the Beast. It's about a, a prince under a spell turned into a bear, and he has to get a young woman to live in his castle, um, unaware that he's half the time a bear. And if she can pass the test, then he breaks the, the spell, gets broken. Oh. So that moved me to find more stories like that, feeling these are the kind of intriguing uh, stories kids need to be told Mm -hmm. and that 
launched me on this odyssey that I've been on for, for decades of uh, telling stories. You know, what's so funny, Jonathan, ah. is, is that I have on my office uh, desk a big glass uh, planter's peanut butter decanter, not peanut butter, planter's peanut decanter glass one filled with caps from Narragansett with the ah. picture things oh, on it. Really? Also, no Coors, kidding. Coors did wow. it too as well. I believe it was Coors as well wow. did it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> little synchronous. Yeah, they made these little uh, little riddles there. That's, that's yep. well, we're, we're in the right place at the right oh. time right now. Wow. <laughs> that, it's meant to be. Yes. It's been truly for, foretold by the Narragansett bottle. So, <laughs> and they never lie. They never lie. <laughs> no. Oh, that's funny. So we have a friend out in uh, your neck of the woods. Uh, she's also a, a, a she's an author uh, and paranormal investigator. Although she's more into UFOs now, is Linda Zimmerman? You do you know her? Yes, I I've, uh, I know of her. I've crossed paths. I'm a, oh, a fan nice. of her writings, and uh, we've done you know in our in our separate ways, but leading together, right. exploration explorations of the varying ghost stories prevalent in the Hudson Valley. And there there was some time ago, you know, maybe 30, 40 years ago, a prevalence of UFOs in this region mm -hmm. uh, where, you know, local officials and others saw, you know, very uh, inexplicable but quick moving craft mm -hmm. and widely reported the phenomenon. And I, you know, I've, used sometimes taken some of the stories uh she has uh found and turned mm -hmm. them into some of my uh performance pieces yeah oh that's great my yeah. daughter lived down in poughkeepsie uh for a yeah, few years I, right in your neck yeah. of the woods yeah it's a yeah, it's poughkeepsie <clears throat> it's very rural i was surprised uh, how rural yeah. it was, and uh, she worked in. Uh, oh, it went right out of my head. They have the fiber festival there. Um, this fairgrounds, yeah. It's maybe Montgomery Place. They used to do a kind of a sheep to shawl thing near Poughkeepsie. At, um, yeah, that's you know, not with, it. With the, but that's down not there, it. no, <laughs> it'll come no. to me once we've all signed yeah. off, and I'll go. Oh yes. That's where she lived. Yes. That's where she worked. She worked at uh, Mirbeau, Mirbeau Spa. They built a new facility down there. But so, uh, so, I see. so many I'm of impressed. Americans, uh, you know, forget the American authors, of, especially of that time period in that area. Uh, you know, some of the really greats in American history come from there. Is, is that what originally turned you on to those particular authors? It, it did. I was curious to, you know, once, once I became a storyteller, I wanted to know more about the authors and the, uh, you know, the stories of the Hudson Valley and, mm -hmm. you know, really spanning from Washington Irving to more recently, you know, T.C. Um, um, Boyle, uh, all use this region rich with mm -hmm. uh, history, local lore and ghosts as a as a part of their 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 writing 
Right. And that compelled me to want to explore the stories all the more. Um, right. Once I began to launch my career, I guess, as a storyteller, uh, you know, maybe <clears throat> I, I then got interested in the uh, local lore. And that's when I kind of rediscovered after, you know, hearing and reading about the Headless Horseman and Washington Irving's other popular story, Rip Van Winkle. So mm -hmm. w when that happened, I discovered many, almost layers of ghostly stories coming back to haunt us. And <laughs> one thing I discovered in researching a book I did for the History Press, uh, Legends and Lore, it's a Legends and Lore of the Hudson Valley, of Sleepy Hollow in the Hudson Valley, uh, I came across a scholar named uh, uh, Richardson, and she claimed that the reason there's so many ghost stories abound here is it's kind of almost like a collective consciousness effort to remember the history now layered over by, well, simply change, migration, um, mm -hmm. you know, really a change in that landscape from uh, rural to more kind of suburban. Right. And uh, the ghosts rise to have their story and history told. And uh, that I found really compelling and sent me on the quest to get into the origins of the ghost stories, not just found in Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, but really, as Washington Irving says, you know, you know, ghostly tales abound in the Hudson Valley. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I and it's Rhinebeck. That's the oh place that I was trying to think yeah. of. <laughs> uh, where Sorry. She, she worked, or yeah, that's uh, where she worked. Yes, yes. Yeah, but, that's a uh, really charming town, and they uh, they have a big Sinterklaas festival there in early December, celebrating the old Dutch, uh, the original Santa Claus, who was called Sinterklaas or Saint. Mm -hmm. Master Nicholas, and uh -huh. uh, you know, there were even a few little, you know, kind of uh, uh, traditions that still linger uh, to this day from Sinterklaas in the uh -huh. Hudson Valley, which of course had Dutch origins. Absolutely. And one of the elements of the Headless Horseman mm -hmm. uh, comes from a Dutch tradition of chasing off. Uh, someone who might come into the town, a stranger, who mm -hmm. proves in one way or another unsuitable. And sometimes the way they got chased off was with someone disguising themselves as a local ghost. Ah, excellent. Washington Irving picked up on that for the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love the, uh, and there's so many Dutch I'm very into cemeteries and the carvings and there's so the, the Dutch carvings are different from any other cemetery carvings that I would find in this area up in, in new England here. Uh, and they're just, they're beautiful. They're amazing. Oh yeah. The beautiful angels and in, um, 
the old Dutch church in Sleepy Hollow Cemetery, mm-hmm. there are inscriptions in Dutch. Yes. People spoke Dutch until the early 1800s, and and you can see evidence of that in the uh, cemetery. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's an amazing place. So... How did you start collecting the ghost stories? Did you uh, research them through the libraries or, or did you uh, hear stories from other people or how, how did you start collecting them? Well, I started <clears throat> trying to, uh, you know, go to the library and look into sources. Well, first, Washington Irving may have used. I also turned to a, a mentor, a kind of eccentric fellow who had a collection of uh, many uh, local, you know, local history, especially he, he specialized in Native American lore, but had many story sources like New York, you know, folklore uh, publications. And I delved into, into those, but the, the most surprising and kind of useful sources came when I would perform the legend of Sleepy Hollow at Phillipsburg Manor or the old Dutch church or more recently Sunnyside. And people would approach me and in sometimes hushed tones would say, <laughs> I, I saw a, a, a strange gray gossamer form floating over the road and I heard a disembodied voice. What, what is that? And I kind of stepped back and thought, oh gosh, that's one of the wailing women in white. Oh. Harry Town and Sleepy Hollow. I, I thought it was just a fabrication, maybe by Washington Irving, but this person is saying that they've had an actual physical encounter with mm. one of these old spirits. So, collecting those anecdotal stories after shows, mm-hmm. along with following my mentor into the New York folklore collections and getting into some of the sources Washington Irving used all provided not just information for my book, but better story sources I could tell in, you know, schools, parks, libraries, historic sites. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's always the way, I mean, Ron, how many times have you or I, or, or most people we know, we go and we, talk about the paranormal and we we always inevitably have people come up to us afterwards and say in those same hushed tones well you know this one time uh this happened you know and and they're like afraid to like speak out and 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 admit that they saw it but it always happens it's it's it is funny and and you can understand uh you know, why they <laughs> are attending your event, you know? Well, that's true. And that's what happens. That's what, again, you know, uh, this scholar, uh, uh, you know, Judith Richardson said that these stories, they well up um, and they, and that's when ghosts appear as a way to remind us of what's gone on in the past. And I think that's a significant role of um you know if you for, for of, of spirits ghosts um you know not just here in the hudson valley but really all over mm-hmm. um, 
So do and, you think, oh, I'm sorry, I, I thought you had paused there. No, go I, ahead, Ron. So yeah. do you think that, you know, these legends that are, that are around, I, as you mentioned earlier, that most legends are based on some kind of truth. It, do you believe that most legends are that way or is it just certain ones? Well, I think it's certain ones. I think some stories are what we what, what are called urban legends, stories that uh, bring up certain fears we may have. Uh, and that can be, you know, takes shape in all kinds of form, like the, <clears throat> well, I don't know, uh, there's a couple of classic examples. One is of of uh, uh, a hitchhiker appearing yep. and then people stop and pick up the hitchhiker and they proceed and for uh, varied reasons the hitchhiker suddenly vanishes and then when they go back to try to piece together what happened inevitably they discover it was a ghost of someone who perhaps was killed while hitchhiking or in some kind of another accident. And that <clears throat> plays upon fears people have had long for hitchhiking or, uh, you know, for just, you know, kind of finding a, you know, a stranger along the side of the road and, and aiding them that can lead to potential troubles. And that's playing upon fears. Another example, unrelated to ghosts is one that was popular when fast food restaurants began to rise in popularity and it concerns um someone ordering food from a you know a fast food restaurant and when it's served it turns out that there is a rat that's either in the batter of the chicken yeah. or on the buns and it's um it's never been proven because the stories always happen to a friend of a friend. Right. But it it shows a fear people have of the fast food restaurants, and those are a separate category from ghosts who appear. It seems to remind us of the history that has gone on and now has been uh, buried by again those layers of new construction, new peoples moving in. Mm -hmm. uh, etc. Yeah, the the hitchhiker story is all all around the world, not just in this state or right. uh, or in I mean yeah. this country, but the, throughout countries throughout the world. Uh, yeah. So there are certain a, common stories. Yeah, it's a motif. Um, who is it? Jan Grunwald, I think, is the author's name. Who wrote a series of books and about that. But I've recently found one that seems to indicate that maybe and one of the earliest sources of the vanishing hitchhiker occurred, you know, here in the Hudson Valley among the uh, Ramapo mountain people. And it's a it's a really chilling uh, ghostly tale. Of, uh, and it, uh, you know, again, shows certain fears, but also has roots in bringing can forth. You, can you give us a synopsis of the tale? Do we have yeah. a, a couple of minutes before a, the break? A, um, a, a, a young woman's given by a local 
a priest in this rather, you know, poor community of the uh, Ramapo Mountain people, a, a beautiful a Ramapo Mountain people, a beautiful lavender dress. And one evening she goes off from the Hudson Valley into New Jersey on a date. And when she comes back, the bus drops her miles from her home um, in the heights and cold of the Ramapos. And uh, she seemingly never makes it home. But then a couple of college students decades later coming through, see this beautiful woman alongside of the road in a lavender dress. And they pick her up and they try to bring her to her destination. But going around a curve, she vanishes. Mm -hmm. And they get out of the car and find a hovel of a house and knock upon the door and it creaks and there's a crone who says, what do you want? And they <laughs> say, we just were driving with a young woman and she vanished and we're so perplexed. We're wondering, is she here? And the crone says, did she have a dress? Well, yes. What was the color? Lavender. Ah. You just picked up my daughter. Ah. She's a ghost. A ghost. She froze to death after getting on that bus trying to get home. She appears every year at this time. And you too, as you may see it and decide, were either blessed or cursed <laughs> to have had the woman in the lavender dress in your car. Mm -hmm. and chunk, she shuts the door and the two go off awestruck into the night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, oh, that's a good many stories. Yeah. Uh, the Bridgewater Triangle, they have the red hitch, red-headed hitchhiker, and of course out in Chicago, they have, uh, oh, who's the one that's in the cemetery? You have to have somebody marry. Um, oh. Whatever. Not Resurrection Mary. Mary. Resurrection, Resurrection. Mary. Yes. Yes. Oh, so, good name. Yeah, there's, there's different ones. There's one up in Maine uh, of a hitch, uh, same way where a, a, a bride was killed in a. Uh, uh, uh oh. Uh, oh, we got to take a break. All right. Oh, tunes. We'll be right back. <laughs> After the following messages. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing. 
although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, Mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. And welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron and Anne and our special guest this evening, storyteller Jonathan Kruk. Yes. I said it I said it right. You did. You always do. I never do. I know, but I had it in my head. I'm like, I'm gonna say it wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what one of the most enjoyable movies I uh, I guess not one of them, but one rendition of the Headless Horseman, of course, was uh, the one with Johnny Death in it. So what's your thoughts right. on that movie, Sleepy Hollow? Well, it's quite an atmospheric and well-constructed movie and very creative about the use of the story. I think Washington Irving would have approved. He was a big one for adopting and adapting stories. Um, it uh, was, you know, more grim and violent than even the, you know, original version of Washington Irving's. Uh, yeah. And I, you know, of course, uh, was completely uh, fascinated by the portrayal of the Headless Horseman by Christopher Walken. I know, and, great. <laughs> you know, loved the, the different twists and turns as to who and what was the source of this horrid, you know, head-lopping spell. So, uh, you know, that that's probably the most well-made by far of, I think there's about six or eight different yeah, there's quite uh, a few. Mm, there's so film many. versions. There's, mm-hmm. Yeah, one with Jeff Goldblum and, uh, you know, whether there was an, an early one too, uh, way back in, you know, the 19... 19- 20s or so, a silent version uh, mm. with Will Rogers playing Ichabod Crane. Oh, wow. Mm, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that's, uh, of course, Disney got involved intriguing. in one of them. <laughs> yeah, Disney uh, did one. There was, of course, the animated version with mm. Bing Crosby narrating. Uh, yeah. But I think the, and the and a TV series um, with Tom Nissen. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. There's yet to really be what I would consider a definitive version that simply stays close to the original story told by uh, Washington Irving. All of them seem to want to stray into creating uh, new endings, new explanations for the ghostly encounter. And I think that there's room for a, uh, a version that really goes with the, uh, you know, again, what, Washington Irving put down with his quill back in 1819 when he first wrote The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. 
So as I understand when I watched this series, uh, you uh, you decided to look into if there was any truth behind the legend. Is that, is that correct? Exactly. Yes. And I in this in this story, Washington Irving insists at the very beginning there is in this region a a spirit of a Hessian trooper galloping about uh, without a head, said to be a uh, a soldier who lost that head of, head of his during a nameless battle in the American Revolution. Mm-hmm. Well, really, in Westchester County, where the story likely took place, there was only one battle where cannon played a big role, and that was the Battle of White Plains, which is often described by historians as a draw, but because Washington was able to preserve the Continental Army and the militias, uh, avoid getting captured by the, the Redcoats, in that respect, it was a victory. But what I discovered, and this came about, as I described earlier, by looking into some written sources, you know, looking over the Battle of White Plains, discovering the use of cannon, the number of Hessians, uh, I, you know, then began to get a little bit more of the story of the Headless Horseman, that uh, there were 19th century books by uh, gathering stories like Edwin Mayhew Bacon, describing people who were seeing the Headless Horseman, or at least sensing the that galloping goblin. And people also reported to me, uh, like a chef from the Sleepy Hollow Country Club, about smelling and sensing and hearing the headless horseman galloping by, causing him to literally freeze until the goblin passed. Mm. And I, I then was swapping some of these stories with the equestrian fellow who portrays the Headless Horseman, a a distinguished gent by the name of Hugh Francis. And he directed me toward a professor of history at West Point, who directed me to the journal of General William Heath. And there in the journal, Heath, who had been at the Battle of White Plains, um, describes an encounter I'm going to read from the journal right now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something I normally don't do, but for your show, for your listeners, I, you know, I will. He, he's the one who, um, who reports literally on, uh, you know, the, the headless horseman. And, um, you know, he simply, you know, states that, um, this is the this occurs right at Halloween, 1776. And this is what General William Heath wrote. Um, the artillery of the division was so well directed as to throw the British artillerymen several times into confusion. And finding that they could not make any impression, drew back their pieces, the column not advancing. The British artillery now made a circuitous mo- movement toward the American right. Here, unknown to them, were some 12-pounder cannons, upon the discharge of which 
they made off with their field pieces as fast as their horses could draw them. A shot from the American cannon at this place took off the head of a Hessian artilleryman. They were left with one of their artillery horses dead on the field. But other losses they could have sustained are not known. So that is the smoking cannon proving that Hessian <laughs> lost his head and his horse. And now, imagine militiamen, farmers, blacksmiths, apothecaries, colonists seeing this. Mm-hmm. They were so afraid of the Hessians. And now this incident, someone getting their head blown off, they would have left the body in the field. Ugh. And indeed they did. Mm-hmm. But eventually, a family of Van Castles found the body, and to return a favor done to them when the Hessians rescued from the burning building a baby, they asked and had the body of this decapitated Hessian buried at the old Dutch church cemetery. Oh, wow. And by mm-hmm. certain spells of Sleepy Hollow, cast either by an indigenous chieftain or a uh, a kind of a German witch um, mm. that is said to have haunted the region. It may have been too because Dutch settlers plowed up a native mm. graveyard, releasing the spirits. Uh-oh. So whatever it was, that and the desire by this uh, decapitated soul to find that head before going on to the next life gave rise to the headless horseman. And some years later, Washington Irving, a guy named Washington who was very well read, it's plausible, more than plausible. He read Heath's journal after he had gone hiking through uh, central west Chester in the lower Hudson Valley mm-hmm. and heard uh, the story of the this goblin. And likely he heard it from a formerly enslaved man at an old uh, mill. Mm-hmm. And that is what uh, was the epiphany for Washington Irving. And so years later, he's homesick, visiting Sir Walter Scott in, in Scotland, comes across German fairy tales with similar motifs of these headless wandering entities. Mm-hmm. And he takes that he takes the tradition I men- mentioned earlier of driving off someone who doesn't seem to fit in mm-hmm. by dressing up as a ghost. He borrows some, you know, local stock characters like Abraham Van Brunt, the lovable or likable bully, the coquette Katrina Van Tassel, and the uh, wealthy but not proud uh, father of Katrina, Baltus, and creates this iconic story, which shows these uh, now quintessential, originally Dutch, but Dutch American characters. And he sends galloping into our consciousness from <laughs> right from the journal of William Heath and the stories told of this headless horseman who still is out there today looking for his lost head. <laughs> That's awesome. Did they ever find the head? Mm. <laughs> nope, haven't found it. Kind of, uh, probably got, um, yeah. It's, everywhere. Be, it's yeah. everywhere. 
it could be anywhere. Yeah. It, um, well, we kind of know some of the battlefields, but, um, and there is a place, you know, near West Harrison where, uh, one of the cannons stands, but it's not known if that was where the head was lost. So it, you know, the headless horseman has yet to find it as well. And, you know, headless horsemen are a common theme, too, throughout the world. I mean, in England, there are many headless uh, horsemen ghosts, uh, as, as well as here in the, the, the States and other parts of the world, yeah. as well as France. And that. Is, is yeah, this that... something in, in the thought of losing your head that terrifies people? Oh, totally. I mean, the... <laughs> One of the most frightening images is the, uh, the Dunellen from um, Ireland, this uh, headless, you know, goblin uh, with a coach driving along through the landscape uh, with pulled by skeletal horses, the wheels of the coach made of thigh bones. Um, and it's just a horrific kind of a thing. And, uh, but, but I think sometimes this headless horseman represents, you know, is sort of a metaphor for the United States, the new country. Um, they don't have a king. So in a way, we're without a king being ruled by the equivalent of a, of a headless, you know, uh, government. Oh, that's, that's, uh, that's a good analogy. One of many hmm. inter- yeah. Yeah, analogies and interpretations there. And you know, even in the Hudson Valley, uh, there are several examples of other headless uh, entities. There's one in Yonkers, one up near Cold Spring, New York, and um, one in the Cat in the Catskill Mountains. All all of which, you know, and continue to kind of uh, haunt this region today. What's interesting, though, is the, is that you have at least some uh, y- your story has some credence to it versus you know, some of the other ones. Yeah, yes, am- it truly does. It's amazing that that journal still exists. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, it was published in 1799. It's you know, it's a little bit you know, business like a little tedious here and there, but <laughs> it does provide you know that smoking cannon it's really um, amazing yeah but but let me um you know note too in the legend of sleepy hollow washington irving notes other local ghosts among those who abound here mm-hmm. um, oh, okay. i mentioned before the wailing woman in white and that really is a layering of three ghosts there's a huge kind of glacial boulder deep in the woods in central Westchester at Rockefeller State Preserve called Raven Rock. And it gained its name from uh, an indigenous woman running away from an unwanted suitor. Mm -hmm. And rather than falling into his clutches, she um, fell off of this stone, this huge stone. And her spirit was taken up by you know, my namesake, the ravens, and you can still kind of hear her cries and the ravens cawing. Then during colonial times, 
a woman gathering wood at Raven Rock froze to death and appears now as a spirit warding people off from suffering her fate. But she didn't ward off a revolutionary era woman in love with a British trooper who went to that rock hoping to uh, rendezvous with him. But he may have had a rendezvous with a bullet and never came. But what came was a winter storm. And she waited and waited through the storm, but froze to her doom. And now she appears as that gossamer form, moaning before storms. And she's the most reported spirit uh, in Sleepy Hollow. And there is another prominent ghost uh, who rises from a story that had gone a little differently. The British would have won the American Revolution. (laughs) Benedict Arnold is known as a traitor. His co-conspirator was a British major, a dashing, handsome, talented figure uh, whose name was John Andre. And Arnold pressed upon Andre plans for West Point. And Andre had orders not to take anything, but he took the plans. He took off his uniform and wore, disguised himself as a merchant and was trying to get down to British-held New York City. But in Sleepy Hollow, he got caught and discovered as a spy. George Washington had him tried and hanged across the Hudson River near New Jersey. But the ghost of Major Andre, an invisible, icy, moaning spirit, appears in Sleepy Hollow, drawn in by those spells, cast again either by the indigenous uh, chieftain or by the the German uh, ancestry uh, witch, uh, Mother Hulda is her name, but uh, Andre's spirit sneaks behind you and will try to put an icy hand on your shoulder and you can ward it off by saying, what party are you from? Because those are the <laughs> words called out by those who captured Andre and incorrectly he said he was with the lower party, Uh-oh. meaning the British, and then mm-hmm. they caught him and found the plans and then he got hanged. So again, Sleepy Hollow abounds with ghosts. Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. That's pretty good, actually. So if somebody wants to find out more about you, Jonathan, and and, uh, how they can, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Contacts. Yeah, contact you. It works too. Contact (laughs) you for a a lecture or or so forth. How, How can they do that? Well, best, of course, you know, you, they can just, my name is K-R-U-K, Jonathan Crook, and they can Google that, go to my website, or just send an email. That's how I reply best, Jonathan Crook at Gmail, and they can find out about, how, you know, I might give a book talk or a performance mm-hmm. uh, pertaining to either The Legend of Sleepy Hollow or some of the other ghostly stories, or they might want me to just come and do finger fables with young children where there's the scariest thing might be the big bad wolf. <laughs> so um, again, just Jonathan Kruk, K-R-U-K, 
don't confuse me with the former baseball player or <laughs> Polish punk rock band. Um, <laughs> so, you know, rock. So uh, that's how they can find out about me. Okay. Uh, Jonathan, now another uh, something that's prevalent in, in ghost stories a lot are uh, cemeteries. And uh, so many uh, stories are written about them. Have you ever uh, come across any interesting stories about cemeteries? In well, your yes. I mean, yeah, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery has mm-hmm. renowned, uh, I don't know how you would describe them, inhabitants from the Astors to the Helmsleys to the Rockefellers to the Hudson River School of Painter, Jasper Cropsey, uh, Walter Chrysler. But um, most of the, 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 the most, I have just a, a really a personal story and I've rarely, this is really the only kind of ghostly encounter I can share. And it occurred in a cemetery not far from Sleepy Hollow, oh. known as the Sparta Cemetery. And I understood a mysterious Again, legendary figure from the 19th century, the wandering leather man mm-hmm. got buried in the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. And briefly, the leather man was a, a hermit who yeah. wandered like a pilgrim and slept in caves, seldom spoke, didn't work, but was dressed in 60 pounds of hand hewn leather. Mm-hmm. And when he, he wandered a 365 mile circuit between the Connecticut and Hudson rivers, yep. he would beg, scoop up, you know, cigars. And sometimes late at night around a fire, he would uh, kind of chant prayer, prayers <clears throat> in French, but no one ever knew his name. And they made up what they didn't know. And when he died, his obituary appeared in all the New York papers, and he got buried in the Sparta Cemetery. And one summer afternoon, I went to find the marker where he was buried. And I wandered and looked all around. And then as twilight began to come, I couldn't find it. But I did happen to find down the side of a little hill, a, a young woman kind of promenading by. And she was in a white dress with, um, you know, a sun umbrella. Mm-hmm. And she appeared to be in period costume from the 19th century. But that wasn't unusual to me because I often was in period costume performing <laughs> at Phillipsburg Manor, colonial <laughs> tales. So I thought, oh, she must be a fellow interpreter. And so I began to go down to meet her and she disappeared briefly behind a little knoll. And I thought, well, I won't run up to her and say, hey, where's the grave of the leather man? <laughs> but I would wait for her to go to come to the other side. But she never reappeared. Oh, and I got, I trembled. I got just <laughs> terrified. And I jumped into my car and was wanting to get the hell out of the cemetery. <laughs> and I was, the cemetery road that you, you know you exited was a busy 
road, the old Albany Post Road, and I was waiting and waiting, and then I noticed to my right um, a presence, and I thought, dear, if I look to the right, I'm going to see this beautifully clad young woman, but with a face with flesh hanging from the bone and for the rest of my life. But what did I do? I turned like any good victim in a horror movie would and looked, and there... The Letterman's marker. And ah! She showed you the grave. She showed me the grave, and then I sped off. Oh. And this was maybe 20 years ago, and more recently, uh, the local historical society got a grant, and they exhumed the grave. They wanted to do a DNA test. Oh, my God. And then they opened up the box, this mysterious Letterman, whose name we still don't know, all of his remains had vanished. Mm-hmm. So there was nothing oh. upon which to perform huh. the DNA test. And all that there is now is the marker and the myriad stories of the wanderings of the Leatherman, another, you know, kind of haunting, you know, denizen of the mm-hmm. Hudson Valley. That's so cool. Wow. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, like I said, That's this great. place abounds. You don't have to go to Louisiana or Georgia or Charleston, South Carolina yeah. or Salem, Massachusetts for ghostly stories. We've got them uh, plenty here in the Hudson, Hudson yeah. Valley. Yeah, I, I was aware of that story because my uh, good friend uh, Jeff Belanger uh, uh, oh, yeah. a, a video know, yeah. piece on yeah. that. So that, that yes, was I was, he story. featured me in that little piece on the uh, the Leatherman. Yeah, Jeff's quite the collector and reteller of uh, New mm-hmm. England legends. Yes, he yeah, is. I've known him since I started the, the paranormal over twenty years ago. Well, way before that, wow. he was he was like my mentor at the time because <laughs> he had the, yeah. the largest largest ghost uh, website. The internet was fairly new back then. Ghost Village, of course. Yeah, he's yeah got quite the collection of ghostly stories yeah. here. Anyways, we have run out of time. Mm. Huh, already. So, Jonathan, we, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, sharing your experiences, plus the, the interesting story about the uh, Headless Horseman. And uh, I wish you right. the best. And, and if you're interested in Jonathan, go check out his website. And uh, if you get an event coming up, he's available. Mm-hmm. I am, yes. And I'm sure he'll you be wonderful. Travel. Yeah, he yes. is. So, thank so you. Thank, well, thank you for having me. It was a real joy and honor here. Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Right. You've been listening You're to Ghost welcome. Chronicles Next Generation with Anna Ron right here on Tojinet Radio and wherever good podcasts are uh, uh, kept. And we are brought to you by our very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio and Patreon, uh, as well as, well, become a member of our uh, group. The Dead Air Society on Patreon. It's $3 a month, price of a cup of coffee. And there's access to over 40 different videos uh, exclusive to our Patreon uh, members. So check that out. Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. We're also uh, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 286 Merrimack Street, Bethune, Massachusetts, and the Glanton Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts. Good night, everyone, and God bless. Good night. Thanks for listening.
from goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord. <laughs>